Nerds and Bros podcast. This is episode 16. It's May 7th, 2020, and we're still in COVID under, I don't know, not really lock and key, but anyway. Hal, what have you been up to? Pedro, good to, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too, man. Um, I would like to start by saying this should be fun because do you want to tell everyone what you're trying to do at the moment? <laughs> Uh, not only am I trying to participate in a podcast, but I am simultaneously running a uh, online home poker game with a bunch of buddies back from D- back in DC, and they're also on a Zoom call, so I'm paying attention to that as well because I'm managing all the buy-ins and rebuys because these guys are playing like freaking degenerate gamblers. But that is where it is. I love it. Once again, we do not fail to have a gambling degenerate reference uh, in our podcast. So mm-hmm. um, we've checked that box already, got that out of the way early. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, things are things. Um, uh, don't want to be too too sad or, you know, we're, we're here to have some fun. So, you know, um, we're all as well in, in the Winters household. Um, how are you guys? Good. We're fine. Uh, the weather come being decent the last several days has been very very helpful yes, um for sure the rain last week was terrible but and you played golf today you said i did get to play golf today I played nine holes over at the club yeah uh, social distancing only allowing two people off at a time uh in every 15 minutes or something like that uh, so you can't have more than a twosome on each hole things are looking uh, up yeah things are looking up um so hopefully it'll be if, eased up even if deaths are the same things are looking up yeah um yeah uh i don't know we'll see where we go but um um it sure seems like people are over this and uh just kind of gonna be like well whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen at this point that kind of seems to be the mentality that's um kind of seems to be growing at this point but yeah we don't we don't we're not gonna talk about that tonight Um, um yeah we're gonna I mean, everything obviously has some sort of a, a COVID tinge to it, um, but uh, we thought we would just go back to talking about good old politics to some degree. Good old politics. Um, our wheelhouse. Uh, I actually haven't been paying a ton of attention to it, mostly because I'm busy during the day um, trying to work and school my children and failing at both. Um but uh yeah let's uh let's let's do it do it to it yeah how 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 are you doing you still the chip leader in your game by the way uh i'm not i'm second place in chips now okay. all right what's is this a tournament or can you just walk can you walk away at whatever t- ever point you want and uh cash out we are playing a tournament 40 dollar buy in there's 9 of us playing so it's one table so cool. these usually don't go much later than 10:30 or 11 Okay. Um, based on how aggressive everybody's playing. Well, so. speaking of not going later than ten thirty or eleven, <laughs> Joe Biden's bedtime probably. Um, that's true. But uh, we wanted to take a minute to talk about uh, good old Democratic nominee Joe Biden and yeah. um, the latest scandal. Uh, you know, I think um, obviously we're referring to the Tara Reid uh, allegations, not the Tara Reid from from American Pie, as you mentioned earlier. Um, that but, would be awesome. But a Tara Reid, who was a, she was a staffer for him in the 90s? Yeah, I think she was a low-level staffer in the early 90s. Uh, staff, staff assistant, maybe, um, I don't know, so maybe a gopher of some kind in that office. Uh, yeah. It was one of her early jobs, so she was yeah. pretty young in the early 90s. How old is she now, do you know? Um, I don't, I 40s, I think? Yeah. Maybe late 40s? Okay. Yeah, and I think, um, I don't know, actually, to be honest. I can, yeah. I'll have to look that up real quick. Why don't you triple multitask and look that up while you're doing oh, well. this? Um, yeah, I, I don't think either of us really want to get into the veracity of her allegations, but rather um, kind of what it means, I guess, uh, and kind of what it, what it could potentially affect. Um I know that one, one second, I'm going to pull up my notes here. Um, so the allegation is that, uh, when she was working for him, he, at some point, I don't know if it was in 
in Congress or at an event? Do you know? Um, it was in Congress. Like she was running something to him. Like she was, yeah. she got one of her supervisors said, Hey, take this to the Senator. Yeah. Uh, I assume in the Capitol near his hideaway office. Okay. Um, all the senators have their own little private office in the Capitol. It's a one, it's usually a one room thing with a phone mm-hmm. and a desk and a couch. Right. And, yep. um, apparently that's, I don't know if it was actually in that hideaway or in a hallway or back hallway or something like that where the encounter actually happened. He pushed her up against the wall yeah and penetrated her right with with his hand with his hand yeah with his fingers um which you know obviously is is a disturbing um sort of allegation uh if true um so that's the state of it and that's happened in the 90s um, I guess yeah, it was in 1993 is yeah. when that happened or it was a claim, a claim to a, and she's come out and said that, um, you know, her mother called into like Larry King or something to, mm-hmm. to, um, look for advice for what she should do. And, and they, they were able to confirm that a woman did, you know, call in and ask a question similar to what she's claimed. Um, so you know, there, there has been some, it seems like the story has, has gotten some, some legs to it somewhat. Um, you know, I think initially the press kind of raised it and then said they didn't cover it because they did some due diligence and it wasn't really, there wasn't really much to it, but now it seems with kind of some of the other, um, I guess claims or being able to validate some of the things going on around it, that it wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, a f- there's some, some elements of truth to what she's acu- uh, alleged. And so it's definitely raised the, the, um, the criticism that, you know, the press is kind of whitewashing this, uh, this allegation. Um, what do you think about sort of, how the press has handled this and what is their duty to, to in this, in this uh, instance? I mean, it seems like there's been a lot of people in the press and the media who've just kind of, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy in general and a lot of it lies in the, in the press about the me too movement and how this story fits into that. Um, I think we should believe all women, you know, hear their stories, hear them out and weigh the options. Um, but when I kind of put this up against the the Brett Kavanaugh case, it's just funny to you know, and not to say that both are equal on all levels. They might there there definitely might be differences there and issues, and that need to be talked about, and they should be considered separately. But it, it's just funny that there was very little um, debate over the um, the allegations of the Brett Kavanaugh case, and on on when it came to his story but there's very little debate about what's about Tara Reid's story it seems like they're all just like well he's the he's 2020 nominee he's running against Trump we need to be Trump is kind of what it seems like to me that they're sort of sweeping it under the rug so that he ends up being the president of the United States and not Donald Trump <laughs> so perhaps there's a little that. bit of blindness there yeah. um but you know i don't know if her story's true she says it is i'm willing to believe her it's apparently she it's been corroborated by four people who she told the story to almost immediately after the encounter or within a, a, a set amount of time uh since the encounter um but uh, i kind of feel like just because he's running against donald trump because he is like the last hope the one thing in the way of another four years of donald trump people are just letting this one go <laughs> And it's funny because I can I can understand that I don't I don't I don't think I agree with it but I I understand that. Um, I mean, there's I something think, we don't know, right? Like, there's a lot that we don't know. I, yeah, and I mean, like I said, all of this needs to be adjudicated, adjudicated properly, right. and it has to all the facts uh, and each side has to be considered. He says he in no way did this. You know, I believe him too. Um, right. But it's not. I mean, I don't know who's telling the truth. This this happened forever ago. Right. <laughs> so almost 30 years now at this point. So yeah. it's, I mean, one of the things that I think strikes me as a, as, as a bit different from the Kavanaugh and obviously you said, you're not saying that it's exactly the same is right. that there is the, um, with Kavanaugh, you know, a, a Supreme court, uh, appointment is for life, obviously, sure. and it's not an election. Whereas this could be sort of adjudicate, like they said with Trump, like all the, the accusations against Trump, like, 
their defense now is that, well, all of those were adjudicated in the 2006 election by the people sort of, you know, willing to, to accept whatever they were and vote mm-hmm. in them as president anyway. So, I mean, there is a little bit of, you know, you can take that approach to it as well. I, I think, you know, when we were kind of <clears throat> chatting before this and you said you wanted to bring up the hypocrisy, I think the thing that really sort of hurts Biden the most at this point is, is his sort of recent, I would say over the past five years and, and, and his strong sort of me too support in that, you know, believe all women. So how do you square that when he is the one, um, being accused, right? Um, so he's kind of Biden's statements have, have, have potentially put him in somewhat of a, of a complex situation. Um, but I, I, I personally think that all these calls for him to step down are, you know, are, are not going to amount to anything. No. Yeah, I don't think so either. And, and, and they probably shouldn't. I, at the end of the day, I mean, you've had an election coming up in, in November and, you know, voters can decide on whether or not they, they want right. Joe Biden over Donald Trump. And the interesting thing too, is the, is the recent poll that a quarter of Democrats would like to replace him as the nominee. Yeah. And to which I would reply with whom, <laughs> like, who would that person be? Is it, is it the runner up? Right. Bernie Sanders? Do you want Elizabeth Warren? Do, you know? put anyone there? Michelle you Obama? Know, does he mitigate any of this with his vice presidential pick? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's got a lot of options out there, and I think he's still pretty well committed to choosing a woman to being his his running mate. Right. Um, you know, and it seems like all those women who are up for that position believe him. Um, I saw a political cartoon not too long ago that was like that it was entitled "The New Me Too Movement," and it was like Kristen Gillibrand saying, "I believe Joe Biden," and then you add Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris, and. Amy Klobuchar all saying me too, me too, me too. <laughs> so, I mean, I think they've, I think they've all put their, you know, the stake in the ground on where, you know, at least these candidates think that uh, where they think Joe Biden should be. And that's to stay in the election, to stay in the race yeah. uh, and not be replaced. It, w- it would be a very democratic party thing to do to replace him and then lose the election, you know, by um, it would just be kind of like, you know, cutting off, your nose to spite your face type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I get the sense, unless some sort of smoking gun came out, um, that they're trying, trying to weather this and it's probably getting more attention. I, well, maybe they're, maybe they're just thinking it's probably getting actually less attention because of COVID. Um, although yeah. who knows what would happen if, uh, it was a normal world and they were just out there sort of um, campaigning and, and talking about setting up debates and things like that. Um, so, uh, yeah. Well, I, COVID has allowed Biden to keep a much lower profile than right. he otherwise would have um, being, you know, six months out from a presidential election. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I think, which is a good thing because it's keeping focus on Donald Trump and, and the administration and the response to COVID and right. lack of response to COVID, however you want to look at it. Um, so he gets plausible deniability there and he can do, you know, the, his other issue with this allegation from Tara Reid gets, like we said, kind of swept under the rug because COVID's happening because yeah. there's so much other noise out there. And I, it makes me feel, certainly it makes me feel bad for, for Tara Reid because her story is being muted out. Um, just purely based on bad timing. Right. I mean, for really, I mean, that's really the only reason. Um, but, you know, I think the Democratic establishment has made it abundantly clear that they've got no interest in in, in investigating this allegation any further, and they just kind of want it to go away. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if I were if I were a Democrat, uh, you know, a senior Democratic official, I'd probably feel the exact same way. Right. Um, right. You know, yeah, which I mean, is, which is a horrible thing to say, but that's just the political reality. Uh, yeah, right. When you're a political realist, and you know, that's kind of the thing that drives you. I mean, if you look at the polls at the moment, um, and I know you are particularly um, think we shouldn't be looking at polls six months out, but if you if this if the race were held today, it looks like um, you know Biden would win Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona. Um, and then maybe Wisconsin, North, even North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, 
will this, as this drags on, will it sort of tighten any of those swing states? Uh, we'll find out, but. Um, well, it's funny you bring that up too, because uh, you know some of the progressive organizations surrounding uh, the healthcare issue have been out in those states: North Carolina, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Arizona, Colorado, um, doing these Facebook town halls on COVID and healthcare and the response, and mostly pushing for Medicare for all. Uh-huh. Um, but it's interesting that they pick those states. They're all the swing states. It's all the states they want progressives to come out and vote. Um, they're not choosing a candidate. It's not paid for by the Democratic Party or by right. you know the Biden campaign. It was just it's all the progressive groups. But it was interesting they chose all those states to host, um, to host these t- uh, Facebook town halls. I listened to a couple of them and they were pretty you know repetitive, um, from one another. But um, well, I mean that's certainly the messaging they want to be playing up, especially when you have uh, the the president you know tripling down on I'm going to end Obamacare during the middle yeah. of of a pandemic, you know, a medical pandemic, um, you know, just it's, even it's, though that gets a little bent out of that, that message is a little bullshit. He's the president. I think Republicans at large are arguing for, uh, getting rid of Obamacare, but not getting rid of, uh, the insurance protections. Oh, that sure. Most people talk about, and I think that gets lost in it. You know, they have all these Democrats saying, Oh, they want to get rid of protections for preexisting conditions. And well, they want to kick, you know, your, they want to kick your 25 year old kid off your health care. That's, that's not what Republicans have been talking about at, at, at all at any point. Um, but, but I'm sorry, we've gotten a little bit off topic, but isn't yeah. the DOJ pursuing, um, you know, the, uh, court cases that are striking down the law writ large though. Yeah. But their whole thing is to make sure that they have something in place that protects pre-existing conditions. But and, they don't, um, from my understanding. What's, what's that? But I have, I mean, has that plan been put forth? Oh yeah. in multiple, in multiple iterations, but you know, it, obviously it's gotta be passed by Congress, right? But like that they want to immediately step in and make sure that those parts of the law are preserved. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's got to be passed by Congress. But um, I, I've always said to you know people who I and I'm not like a huge advocate for or against Obamacare. I think it, it did some good things. I think it did some bad things. Um, but I've always said that you know you may be able to get rid of the Obama from the Obamacare, but you're probably at this point never going to get rid of like you said the the um, pre-existing condition clause. The right the um, uh, you know, you can stay on your insurance till what is it, 20, 25, 26. Um, sort of the the key key aspects of the, the bill are probably here to stay. And so mm-hmm. you, know, you may be, and I think Trump probably only cares about getting rid of the Obama part versus the actual. You, you could probably pass the same law and call it Trump Care, and he would be happy with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that I'm a little as a as a Republican staffer back then when we were first discussing the the first iterations of, of the Affordable Care Act, I was, I, as a staffer, I actually thought that it was a great idea to have an individual mandate because the only way that you can broaden the insurance pool is by requiring everybody to have insurance. Yeah. Um, and that was originally a conservative idea. And then obviously, right. then everybody ran away from it when it became, you know, the crown jewel of Political. President Obama's Affordable yeah. Care Act. So, but anyway, you, like you said, we're, we're, we're getting off of the yeah. topic, but let's get back um, Let's get back on topic. There's a there were some interesting developments um, at HHS in one of your favorite offices, uh, not just at HHS but in all of the agencies. So you want to you want to tell everybody about that? Yeah, I I just I I think it, it this has been one of those things that's like death by a thousand cuts, or I don't know, maybe in this case fourteen cuts or whatever. But um, uh, Christy Grimm, who was the acting Inspector General at HHS. Uh, is being they're moving to the White House is moving to replace her, um, and uh, as far as I can tell, the only reason she is being replaced is um, that she had she was she spoke out and said that that medical professionals were having trouble getting um, tests and for COVID and and PPE that was needed, uh, as well as you know she served under Obama. Now, I think she actually started in the government under President Bush, but that doesn't seem to matter uh, to President Trump. Um, and it's, it's just a, a, a wider sort of assault on the independence and the uh, sort of 
apolitical, unbiased, objective review of of executive branch performance that um, <clears throat> this administration has waged. And I think it essentially the message that is clear is that performance and and sort of objective <clears throat> uh, uh, review is less important than uh, praise or for the president and his job being done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just real quickly before I get your thoughts, I just want to go through some of the more egregious ones. Um, there was Michael Atkinson, who was the DNI um, inspector general, who was removed somewhat quietly. I believe he was actually removed on a Friday um, oh, after that nice. what's that? That was nice. Yeah. Uh, he was removed from his position. And if you recall, he was the, the IG who brought forth the whistleblower complaint to Congress, which started all of the impeachment, uh, proceedings. Um, they never really did offer much of a reason for why he was removed other than the president no longer has faith in him. Um, and to me, that was one of the more egregious moves because it was simply, uh, to me, unless they offer another reason, it was simply... Um, we're removing him because he caused the president a lot of, uh, uh, you know, hardship essentially by doing his job, and so, you know, that, I thought that was a pretty dangerous move. Um, there are 14 IG positions across the government currently vacant. Um, six have been left for over a year, and essentially, you know, by not having an IG office you are leaving the evaluation and um, uh, performance of these branches to the leadership of the branches, which generally are filled with um, appointees, you know, from the administration. So you're, you're not able to get the career officers in there who are able to uh, have perspective across administrations, have perspective to know what is and what what is and isn't working and why. And um, it's generally, I think, uh, uh, one of the more dangerous sort of precedents that this administration is is going forth. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, am I overreacting here? What do you think? Um, I know you like to say they serve, you know, the executive branch can... Um, uh, you know, they serve kind of at the leisure of the president. Yeah, uh, the pleasure of the president. Pleasure of the president. But, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. I, I always like to say, you know, I have the right to let a door shut in your face, but it doesn't mean I should do it. Um, right. You know, it, it doesn't mean that it's not wrong when I do it. No, I think uh, the IG is a very, you know, even if it's not a very sexy or glamorous position, it's probably one of the most important in all of the agencies or in all the departments to have those IGs in place. Um, Cause they're not, this, this isn't what they always do. They're not always doing things that upset the president. They're looking for fraud, waste and abuse in their, right. in their various departments. Um, they're doing really kind of grunt work, quite frankly, you know, investigating all the contracts, making sure vendors are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, but then sometimes these things creep in, especially in the intelligence and defense. And, and I guess even with Christy Grimm, the, the HHS space that, um, it's very, it's a big, their decisions and what they do have a major effect on the American people in terms of transparency and letting them know what's going on. Uh, and, you know, I, I would certainly prefer for the president to embrace that and not <laughs> use it as some sort of, you know, club to beat people over the head with. Right. Um, so yeah, I just, I mean, it's, it's, and it goes back to his sort of, um, his, his line about, you know, like deep state that we've discussed as mm-hmm. well. You know, you can't trust anyone True. who served under Obama. And I think, you you know, even with the, the Ukraine whistleblower, like, you know, there was, there was, I think there was online, people had kind of figured out who they thought it was and they were posting pictures of him, like yeah. literally with, with like a picture of him with Obama. And I'm like, well, just because you have your picture taken with someone and, and you were working, like, as a staffer in a white house, you're going to get your picture taken with the president. That doesn't mean that you are aligned, you know, you're politically aligned with whomever and you want to see like the other party fail. 
Um, I have a and, picture with Nancy Pelosi. Right. I mean, yes. Not because right. not because I'm aligned with her, but it's because she was the first ever woman speaker of the House, and that's a there big big effing I mean, deal. It's it's well, you know, now you can never be. Um, uh, in a I can never work for Trump. A Republican administration, because yeah, you're <laughs> you're 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 a secret deep state plant by that. Yeah, I know. Woman. They got to me, apparently. Um, I, you know, I think um, there was, you know, I, I posted on the our Twitter page as well. Like, there was an article in the Bulwark about how they've appointed this um, uh, young guy, uh, party loyalist, to kind of go and look at all appointees across the executive yep. branch and and sort of measure their loyalty to Trump. I have a friend who is one of his victims. Oh, really? Yeah. Tell me more. She's a very, very, very capable at her job, was very good at her job. Nothing would indicate that she was not loyal to the president. Uh, But this guy found one tweet or something from, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, or five, six, seven years ago, maybe like during the campaign in 2016 or Uh uh, leading up to that, because she had, she was supporting somebody else during the campaign Uh um, or she was actually working on that person's um, uh, campaign and um, a Republican, not a a Republican. Yeah. And this guy found that tweet or found something that wasn't favorable to the president Trump. And she was removed as a senior um, communications person at, at this particular department. And she was, put in some random right like they moved her to like, they moved her to like so like national science foundation or something like that she went from a really high profile job to and they put her into like some basement place yeah, right. I, she which is ridiculous because this girl is phenomenal at her job well, um, and, that's, and that's the thing that i wanted to highlight um is that you know if you get to a state where uh you are only putting sort of cronies or loyalists or even donors you you not i mean obviously you are setting up a bad situation where there could be um corruption and 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 you know self-dealing um but even even more sort of practically you're setting up a a system where every time an administration switches you lose all institutional knowledge you lose the people that are good at doing their job, the people that have worked their lives mm-hmm. um, to to study sort of the subjects that they're they're professionally working on, and you make a, a, a ineffectual bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't know. Maybe Steve Bannon loves that with his you know destruction of the administration, administrative state sort of statements. But in it's no way to to run a government of you know, 2 million workers or whatever. Right. Um, the other thing I would real quickly say is if that's the standard, you know, you tweeted four or five years ago against the president, then um, his new press secretary should not be, should be reassigned as well because she called um, Trump's, you know, comments racist and hateful. And oh. uh, in, in 2015 when he was, you know, candidate Trump, but, you know, I guess all is forgiven if you can um, bow to the King and kiss his feet now. I mean, she's uh, after this week. He's probably extraordinarily happy with her from her yeah. press briefings. Right, right. So I don't know. I you know I think there are a lot of things that get um, you know the headline grabbing um, uh, you know newspaper front uh, you know that this administration does um, kind of the more sensational aspects. But these are the types of things that like you know. I think are pretty powerful and could have lasting damage. Um, you know, creating a stronger executive um, with a even with a weakened Congress, right? Like, I mean, uh, Congress now can is asking, you know, for people to appear and 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 sort of conduct their oversight, and the administration is is just straight up stonewalling them. So, like, yeah. what? How do they get? If you if you only have loyalists in these positions, how do they understand what's really going on in these agencies that they are supposed to have oversight of and fund? And um, it 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 just creates uh, a bad precedent and 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 
more importantly, you know, an, an ineffective system. And um, that's what worries me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you hundred percent. I think, you know, there is a level of secrecy when it comes to a lot to administrations, you know, every single administration in our history has had some level of secrecy in what they've done and have tried to uh, limit the leaking um, from wherever in the administration. But it seems like this one has gone. It, it takes extra steps that seem unnecessary. You know, I mean, you know, I think there's some, there's something that I feel like this administration is worried about. Trump coming off worse than he really is when I don't even know how that's possible. So everybody sort of expects it. So why are you trying to put these people in place and make it ironclad when it's not ironclad? It's weird to me. It's just, it's, it's very, it seems counterintuitive, but. Well, I mean, I think you're trying to get into the mind of a child. True. (laughs) I'm not a child psychologist. Yes. One of my favorite Twitter, one of my favorite tweets ever from another person I, I used to know well. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, some of these things cannot be explained. And I think, I wonder if, you know, in 50 years, we'll look back and be like, what, 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 what how was that real? What in the world was that? But I don't know, we may not be here in 50 years. So, um, so sh- I think, yeah, that I've said my piece there. Um, mm-hmm. so I, Moving on to our last topic, which is actually, um, I don't know if I told you this, but Uh it was uh, listener-inspired. Oh, Um, yeah. I was chatting with one of our our loyal listeners, and we were talking about sort of the response of of local politicians. And he was like, you know, that would be an interesting thing for you and Pete to talk about. And so tonight we'd like to take a – few minutes to talk about the the what I what I'm calling the party farm systems mm-hmm. uh, the governors the you know secretary of states the yep. the I you know the attorney generals of our states that are really making a name for themselves throughout this pandemic um, you know I, I think when we brought this up I said I'll let you handle that so did you do your homework and do you have any any sort of um, uh, intros or overtures you'd like to say about about sort of the state of the farm systems? Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of good. Um, I, you know, I can't I can't really speak about the Democratic ones, um, but you know the Republic at least on the Republican side, there's a lot of people out there who could be. They really could. Um, I think it'll be. We'll see in four years or four and a half years what they're like after Trump is gone, if Trump mm-hmm. wins a second term. Um, but based on their history and what they've done prior to Trump ever being on the scene, um, they're good. They were, they're good people. They're good. They believe in their principles. They, they believe in an ideology. They, it, just, it doesn't you know go wherever the wind blows. So, you have um, so there's a lot of them out there. Or, uh... It's unfortunate. Some of them are, are bowing out of politics, or at least for now, some of them are, are moving forward. Some of them are trying to move up. Um, so there's a good amount. You just want me to dive into a couple of them? Yeah, yeah. Talk about them. I think. Well, I think the natural, the first natural one is I think the star of stars in the Republican Party for up and coming and who could be somebody big, bigger in in four years or five years is most certainly Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Governor of South Carolina, you know, UN ambassador, you know, was able to criticize, but still came out on Trump's good side. She was able to kind of keep the state, you know, walk that line without actually crossing one way or the other. Um, I think, I think Nick Haley's very impressive and always have, um, you know, we'll see, like I said, what is she like when Trump's not around, when the party is no longer his, um, What's the party going to look like when he's not there? I mean, it's there's a lot of ifs, and, and we'll see. Um, Will Hurd, even though he's a federal guy, congressman, who's but he's retiring, he's got a super PAC to try and um, elect more like-minded um, Republicans like him. He was, you know, with him leaving, Republican Party had two African-American members, and with him leaving, now there's only going to be one. Um, so I think he really wants to get more minorities, more Latinos, more... Um, African-Americans to try and to, to get them to be part of the party. Cause there are those people out there. It's just, you know, I think it just gets lost in, in the narrative that Republicans are a bunch of rich old white men. 
the guy that I wish would run for president is Larry Hogan, governor of Maryland. I mm. think in age of COVID has done a masterful job. Um, he luckily came in before Trump did. So he didn't have to, he didn't have to kiss the ring. He's never had to kiss the ring. Um, he represents a blue state. So nobody cares as long as he's taking care of business, um, which he's been doing. And, uh, he's a cancer survivor. His wife is Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a great guy. He's big, big personality, um, has no problem, you know, taunting his legislature, but it's always been in a good way. It's never been in sort of a disrespectful way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish he would run for president. I would certainly do everything I could to get him. Well, he thought about primarying Trump, but ultimately. Didn't. I, yeah. I don't know how serious it was, but yeah, it, that was out there. Um, yeah. so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, you like do what anybody else? Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of attorney gen- attorneys general that I really like, um, mm-hmm. state, state AGs. Um, from uh, Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, first African-American uh, Republican elected as AG of Kentucky. He's uh, new. One, he's brand new, uh, but he's a, he's a rising star. I mean, yeah. he just is, um, especially because he was able to win and win handedly in a race where the Republican, sitting Republican governor got his clock cleaned. Right. Um, by your fellow Vanderbilt alum. Yes. Um, Patrick Morrissey, who's the attorney general for West Virginia. He's a former Hill staffer. I knew him way back when, kind of. I didn't know him well, but I, he he was much more senior back then in the early 2000s when I was kind of a junior healthcare staffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Patrick's Pat's awesome. Um, he's done a great job in West Virginia. I think he really would like to be governor um, someday. Um, I don't know if the, if the timing is going to work out for him, but you know he's somebody to watch. Uh, and then Chris Carr, the attorney general of Georgia. Uh, Chris was uh, Johnny Isaacson's chief of staff for a long time, uh, got appointed to fill the AG seat, uh, and then ended up winning it in the election this past uh, or two Novembers ago. Um, Chris is great. Um, he's he's a good guy, nice guy. He was always a great, from what I knew of him in the Isaacson office, he was a great boss. Everybody loved him. Everybody loved working for him. He was a reason why Johnny Isaacson didn't have a lot of turnover at that time. He Not that Johnny ever had turnover because Johnny's the reason why everybody worked there, but um, he's just a good kind of middle of the road dude. Um, it's, it's interesting. You, you haven't, um, you haven't mentioned any of the sitting governors of, of red states. Um, well, I mean, I think, think Governor of, Abbott in Texas is, is somebody, I mean, old. do what? But he's old, but he's old. Yeah. He's old. I mean, he just is. Um, it's not that he doesn't, it's not that his future's, done as a gov- as, you know political future i mean he i guess in theory he could run for something else um, at some point but um it's not going to be a senate seat um and uh, you know maybe he runs for president but i don't think people know but you got him. a few of the guys who are who are younger but i i like i mean even desantis is well, DeSantis, yeah i was thinking DeSantis, but he's a boob i mean he right. just is so his, his poll numbers are tanking in florida right now as they should and who who's the guy from like is it Nebraska the one who like took the picture of himself when like it's kind of was it Nebraska or Oklahoma Oh Oklahoma's governor yeah yeah yeah, yeah. fish young, fry he's kind of a young guy too yeah um you know but like you said these guys have kind of hitched their star pretty closely to to sort of trumpism so i don't i don't know if um you know like you're i don't i just feel like you're, you're, that's not the future. And if it is the future for the Republican party, it's probably going to be like Ivanka, Jared or Donald jr. Rather than those guys. <laughs> well, and you know what? And honestly, I'm okay if they, if they're kind of like the, the placeholder in the middle in the interim between, cause none of the Ivanka, Jared and Donald jr. Are not going to get elected president. You know, at least oh, I, I certainly hope, hope not. But I mean, like, but if they, but if they try and make that a thing, well, good. That gives more time for some of these younger folks uh, to come through, like you know, some of these AG state AGs, and even some yeah. of these um, current state speakers of the house that um, I think are really great as well. Um, you know, maybe there's a great uh, state rep in in Florida who represents parts of Miami, um, Ana Maria Rodriguez. She's running for state senate, and she she might be governor of Florida one day, and then she'd be a great. Um, I think. Well, as of now, I mean, things can change, things can come out in her past, but. Um, yeah. She could be something bigger later on as well. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm no Democratic operative, um, but you know, just from their side, uh, 
it seems like um, a couple of the names that that are making sort of national pushes. Oh, it's, but you didn't mention Dewine. Sorry, before we go on, I mean, is he... I was think I was thinking about Dewine, but Dewine's already been a sitting U.S. senator. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. He came back to be a state attorney general and then governor, um, and he's he's an older guy now too. Yeah. I think I don't know if this is his last, if he's planning on this being his last job in politics as governor of Ohio, but I would assume it is, quite frankly. Gotcha. Um, but so, I mean, he certainly proved that he can win statewide whenever yeah, he feels like right. it. So, and he's and he's sort of shown some great leadership through all this. Um, yeah, he has. Uh, you know, like accountability, um, uh, you know, judiciousness, faith in science, like it's just kind of the things that are seem to be missing from the, the top at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, with regards to the Democrats, I mean, I think obviously, uh, you know, Cuomo has, has made a big name for himself. Whitmer, um, you know, I think she probably has designs on, on some sort of national position at some point. Yeah. Cabinet um, secretary probably, you know, uh, Newsom, I don't know what he's thinking, but, um, uh, you know, he has a little bit of baggage with him. He's kind of thought of as a little bit of maybe smug or arrogant and, mm-hmm. um, maybe you make up even like a playboy. Um, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I think actually um, Governor Bashir has has made um, some some nationally recognizable na- uh, news for himself. Sure. Uh, and so he could potentially be someone who could maybe be uh, on a ticket. In, in, How do you feel about that? I mean, you know, <laughs> it'd be nice to have a a commodore in the uh, leading the executive branch. Wasn't he, wasn't he funneling beers in your dorm room at some point? I, I mean. You know, <laughs> You graduated class of 2000. There's a <laughs> So the, there's a distinct possibility that he could have been. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm almost positive. We live right across the hall from each other. So. I love it. Um, I mean, it's funny because you, you look at the crop of people who could be who could be the, uh, the running mate for Joe Biden. And a lot of them are uh, a lot of them are sitting. Well, a couple of them are sitting U.S. senators. A couple of them are, uh, are up and comers. I think the name that keeps on popping up is Stacey Abrams uh, from Georgia, right. who who lost the governor bid. Um, right. In 2018, and uh, you know, her claim to fame is that she was the Democratic leader for the in the House, Georgia State House, uh, which is not a, that big of a deal, I guess. Uh, I mean, when it when it comes to national politics uh, in the grand scheme of things, so right. you know, I think she probably was an up and comer. I think if she had run for uh, something more like a U.S. House seat or U.S. Senate seat, um, or even you know, bided her time and ran for governor again in four years. Um, I would take her a little bit more seriously than I do now, but um, yeah, I think her star is fading qu- pretty quickly, and I think really a lot of it is because it's her fault. Um, I think she's played her hand, overplayed her hand, I should yeah. say, right. um, since she lost that, since she lost the governor's race to now. Um, we did. But, for, um, we also forgot to. I forgot to mention our 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 own governor, Governor Pritzker. Um, I, you know, obviously the Pritzkers have been in in. Um, uh, cabinet positions before. So mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if JB, Governor JB has any sort of designs on anything more than this, but uh, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I mean, he's a billionaire. He doesn't really need to, you know, he doesn't need these, you know, it's interesting. Some of these guys who are super rich or wealthy on their own, they don't right. need these jobs, which is, could be, it could be a huge positive. It could be a huge negative depending on how they come into, you know, the attitude they bring in. Right. But he's one of those guys that doesn't need this job. He wants to get in. It seems like, you know, based on some of his actions, he wants to make good, positive change and then get out. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't take, you know, a cabinet post or, or something. Right. Um, if a president, if a president came knocking and said, "Hey, I want you to do do this," he's a service guy at the, at his, yeah. his at the core because yeah. that's their family thing. They're 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 big into public service. It's it's very easy to be when you have billions of dollars. True. Um, very true. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, so I think, I think honestly, like, you know, looking traditionally at, at sort of, or analyzing it based on tradition, like it's a, it's a decent, it's a decent deck. Like, you know, um, it kind of gives some hope that like maybe, you know, some more normal type politicians would be, um, at, in play here over the next Mm -hmm. 
um, eight, 12 years, but, um, well, well, here's the big question. It's the big question really is for the Republicans. How much does the, the, the shadow of the Donald Trump on the GOP still hold? Right. And how long does it hold for going into the future? Yeah. And then the democratic side, it all depends on how strong does the progressive wing get? Yeah. And so are we just going to keep on doing this thing where we're pushing each other to to one flank or the other, you know, left or to the right? And how much, how far can we get those, those two, you know, things apart? Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think that really, yeah, I think that that's really is going to determine really. what happens to a lot of these benches because the benches are super deep if you look at them just from, you know, on a piece of paper. But when you start adding an ideology and right. to public opinion and where things go between now and 2024, just throwing a number out there. You know what? What does that look like then? So, yeah, there's definitely there's certainly cause for optimism um, on both the the Republican and Democratic side for their their benches and, and the state houses, state AG state AG's offices, um, the governor's offices. But again, what what does what happens if Trump wins another four years? What does that do to the GOP? Mm-hmm. Um, what does that do to the Democrats in terms of um, AOC and Ilhan Omar right. and you know the the progressive the the hyper progressive wing of the of the Democratic Party? Right? Do they just say screw this moderation thing? Like yeah, yeah. Because I think you and I both believe in you know the country is designed. Our founders designed our country to move slowly, which mm-hmm. is frustrating for some people. But it also brings more people along when you move things slowly. Public opinion right. always changes. I mean gay marriage that that changed almost you know on a dime uh, right. when you really think about it in the grand scheme of things um well i mean so, yeah like i mean because public opinion changed and people right. decided they didn't care if two dudes or two women got married right well i mean inflicting women's suffrage um mm-hmm. african-american you know voting and and equal rights like right you know those things they they were brought along um, whereas if you tried to flip a switch and, and change things, it could have caused like huge turmoil, um, mm-hmm. at the time. So, yeah, I mean, I think we believe in sort of the process, but I don't yeah. think people have the patience or the discipline anymore to, to follow that. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, as you said, like nationally, I think we're actually further apart than we are locally and, mm-hmm. and we could perhaps learn a thing or two from um, sort of how we're handling at, at this point, like the national um, response to COVID is actually kind of hurting our local response <laughs> because yeah. it's pulling us in different directions and it's making it more political than it should be. Um, and so, you know, it is nice to see some kind of professionals who are, who are doing their job kind of um, succeed and, and hopefully that, that pretends, you know, those people being put in position, national positions later, but I don't know. Um, Anything else there? No, I think that about covers it. Did you lose yet? No, I'm still, uh, I'm second in chips. Although I did just blow off 2000 in chips, which was stupid, but. Whatever, that's fine. Um, how many? How many guys are still left? Uh, eight out of the nine. Oh, you're going to only one guy's gone out. Yeah. Uh, so, do you want to? Are you into anything this week? You know, I've been thinking about it, and I'm really, I'm just not, and it's not because I don't want to be. It's just because. What's that? That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's because of everything going on. It's hard. So, I mean, I'm into the fact that I'm going to clean out my garage tomorrow. Um, I'm gonna take some time to do that, and go. um, that's cool because you know, it's a mess, and I've got children's vehicles in there, and they outnumber everything that I own in the garage, and I need to <laughs> go through it and see what's broken and what needs to be tossed or donated or whatever. Um, and also, maybe at some point, I can fit two cars in my garage instead of just the one. Um, but um, well, that feels no, good to do that stuff. Yeah, it does. I mean, I did it last summer too, and I felt really good after that that garage was organized and cleaned yeah. up and uh, it's just become a mess. There's actually, there's a couch that I want to donate that's sitting in the garage. Uh, but just, we were, you don't need right now. Can't do any of that shit. Yeah. Can't uh, do anything like that now. Well, how about you? Uh, well, I'm still juggling. I learned a new trick 
this. Uh, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> this week, it's, it's very re- rewarding to, to, I'm to sure see, see the fruits of your labor. Um, mm-hmm. But um, actually, so I mean, a lot of people are watching a lot of streaming content these days. I I've gotten back into this show called Falda, which is um, an Israeli show, and it's about the kind of IDF. Uh, unit that is sort of battling uh, the Palestinians, but it's it's very it's told in a, um, a you know pretty even uh, even look at both sides of the conflict. But it's um, it's very action packed. It's kind of almost like a uh, an Israeli twenty four, a little bit less sensational, a little bit more realistic. Hmm. Um, but it's super interesting and like you know pretty tense and it's three seasons i'm halfway through season 2 um and you know i i've talked about it. i lived there so it's 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 kind of nice to see israel and um so it's it's pretty pretty interesting uh take on the israeli palestine conflict and and kind of what goes on uh sort of covertly there um, for anyone who's interested. So yeah, that's what I've been into the last, last couple weeks. Nice. Nice. Um, well, cool, man. All right, buddy. Um, good times. Go win your poker game and do my best. I'm playing a lot of poker lately. Yeah. Um, well, uh, that was fun and, uh, talk soon. Talk soon. We don't need to go to the casino because I'm sitting here playing poker at one. Well, you know, Indiana's opening up soon, so I think Is it really? I think so. I think oh. like May fifteenth or Oh my something. god. Um, so there's hope. You know, of course everything will probably then shut back down in, in, in six weeks when cases spike. But you know, yeah. those six weeks will uh we'll we'll hit the casino like every week. God, I can't wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> All right, man. All right, brother. Well, have a great week. Um yeah. and we'll talk again soon. All right. Oh, wait, we got to, we almost forgot. Hey, follow us on Twitter at bros politics. Uh, listen to us on Spotify or Apple podcasts and, uh, we'll go to the casino some point. Boom. All right, man. Later. Take care. What could possibly go wrong?